Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to investigate Jesus and Paul's favorite topic, the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself the question, what is the Christian gospel? What did Jesus challenge his audiences to believe as the gospel or good news? What did he mean by the phrase so often found on his lips, the kingdom of God? When did you last hear a preacher or evangelist invite us to repent and believe in the gospel about the kingdom of God, as Jesus challenged his audience to do in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15? We've been suggesting in this series of programs dedicated to focusing on the kingdom of God that the right place to start in the study of Christianity is at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. In some circles today, one senses that Paul is supposed to be the real initiator of Christianity. Sometimes one feels that the gospel is not preached until Paul began to preach it. Now, that really is very far from the biblical truth. The gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, make it abundantly clear that Jesus is the source of the gospel. Jesus is the one who announced the gospel of the kingdom of God long before Paul even believed in it. It makes sense, then, that if Jesus commissioned the church to go out and preach and teach all the things that he had taught, that we should follow the ministry of Jesus from its beginning. What, then, was the first commandment of Jesus? Well, that's very clear from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Jesus tells us there, to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand and to believe in the gospel about the kingdom of God. We were discussing that meaning of the word repent and we found that it means to make a complete change, a radical redirection of one's life and thinking, not just negatively, giving up the practices that we know to be wrong, but positively turning towards and committing ourselves to and embracing the message or gospel about the kingdom of God. That, after all, is to come into line with Jesus' first commandment, where he said, Repent and believe in the kingdom. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. We found in the famous parable of the sower, or the parable of the soils, as it really should be called, that Christianity depends on a response to a specific message, called in Matthew 13, verse 19, the message about the kingdom, or the word about the kingdom. We find then that the word gospel has a synonym in the New Testament. It can be called the word or the message. So whenever we read of the word of salvation, we're reading of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Those are interchangeable terms. In Luke 8 and verse 12, we have an interesting report of how Jesus considered the message of the kingdom and the reception of that message to be the very basis of salvation. And the devil, it seems, knows that better than even some believers today, because Luke reports that Jesus said that when anybody hears the message of the kingdom, the devil is there ready to snatch away that message of the kingdom which has been sown in the believer's heart, so that he may not believe it and be saved. Luke 8, verse 12. That's a marvelous encapsulation of the whole process of salvation. It begins with an intelligent reception understanding and embracing 
of the message of the kingdom of God, and from there on the believer must persist through all the trials of this life till finally the kingdom of God is established at the second coming of Jesus, and that is the believer's moment of glory. Not until then can it be really said that he has gained salvation in the fullest sense. Remember that Paul said in Romans 13 verse 11, salvation is now nearer to us than when we first believed. Paul in Philippians 2 verse 12 speaks of working out our salvation. And in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8 he speaks of the hope of salvation. Salvation, in other words, is something lying yet in the future. Now, obviously, you don't hope for something you already have. And so it's clear that in the writings of Paul, salvation is mainly something still waiting to be obtained at the second coming of Jesus. Salvation, you see, in the Bible, is on a timeline. It has, so to speak, three tenses of the verb. There's a sense in which we were saved when we first make our initial commitment to Christ and his message of the kingdom. There's a real sense in which we are being saved, and Paul uses that language too. And there's an even more important sense in which salvation is yet to be obtained in the future. It's nearer to us, Paul says, than when we first believed. It's important for us to emphasize this fact because in popular language about salvation, we hear almost exclusively only about salvation in the past, when I got saved and so on. But the biblical emphasis is different. Salvation is like a race. Now, you obviously don't win a race when the starting gun goes off. You win the race only by going to the end, by achieving the goal, by arriving at the finishing tape. Salvation is exactly like that in the Bible. Christians are in a race, racing towards salvation. Now, if they proceed along the way, they can have confidence that God will support them to the very end. But there's a very important matter of perseverance in salvation. Not only must we make an initial stand for Jesus and his gospel of the kingdom message, we must continue to hold fast to that word until salvation finally comes to its fullness at the second coming of Jesus. I wonder if you've realized the extent to which Jesus and his teaching is rooted in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. It's most important to remember that Jesus was a Jew and it can be very misleading for us to read the Bible as though it's a 20th century American document. Let me give you an example of what I mean. The phrase kingdom of heaven is obviously one that was a favorite with Jesus. Now, what does that term kingdom of heaven mean? It has nothing, I have to tell you, to do with what we popularly call heaven today as the objective of Christian faith. If we look in the Hebrew Bible, where all of Jesus' teachings are rooted, we'll find that the kingdom of heaven is simply the kingdom that comes from heaven to the earth at the second coming of Jesus. The scene of the future kingdom of heaven is not heaven as a place removed from this earth. It's the very earth and the very planet on which we're living. And it comes to the earth when Jesus returns in power and glory. In Daniel 7, we read of four terrible pagan governments, four beast powers. But they're going to be superseded one day by the arrival of the Son of Man in power and glory. And so in Daniel 7.27, we find that the Son of Man finally takes possession of the kingdom. But it's described there as the kingdom under the whole heaven, not the kingdom in heaven. A little earlier in Daniel 2, verse 44, we learn that the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that's the origin of the phrase kingdom of heaven. 
It's not a kingdom that's going to be in heaven, but rather a kingdom that's going to come from heaven by divine authority when the Messiah comes to rule and reign on his throne, the throne of David restored in Jerusalem on this earth. That's why Jesus then promised to the meek that they were going to inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, he said, in Matthew 5, verse 5, because they're going to have the earth as their inheritance. And in Revelation 5 and verse 10, we learn that the church consists of people of all nations brought into one body of Christian believers, and their destiny is as follows. They're going to reign upon the earth. Revelation 5 verse 10. It's surprising then that we hear so much about going to heaven. The language of heaven is strangely foreign to the Bible, and it speaks of a time when the church lost touch with its Jewish roots and began to imagine that souls could separate from their bodies and live in conscious bliss with God in heaven, apart from the resurrection in the future. But Jesus and the apostles didn't think like that. They are firmly rooted in the text of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, which had nurtured them. And so in Psalm 37, verse 11, we find the very interesting sentence that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, Psalm 37, verse 11, because they're going to have the earth as their inheritance. No less than five times in that psalm, the earth is promised as the reward of the faithful, as the place of the destiny of the faithful. And Jesus echoed that verse and affirmed it and confirmed it for us as Christians when in Matthew 5, verse 5, he said explicitly the very same thing. Blessed are those who are meek. They're going to have the earth as their inheritance. Well, you may say, why did Jesus then say we should have treasure in heaven? In the very same passage where Jesus spoke of the meek inheriting the earth, Matthew 5, 5, he also said that those who follow him would have treasure in heaven. Now, how can those two statements be reconciled? Well, very simply, by noting that in the Hebrew mind, things of the future are presently stored up with God as treasure in heaven. Now, that does not mean that you have to go to heaven to get that treasure. It does mean, however, that that treasure is going to come to you when Jesus returns to the earth. It's going to be given to you then. A very simple confirmation of this fact can be found in the first letter of Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, Peter spoke of Christians obtaining an inheritance. That's to say, the inheritance of the kingdom, which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you, Peter said. And you are protected by the power of God through faith, waiting for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. So the salvation that we're hoping to obtain in the future is now reserved, treasured up for us in heaven. So Jesus also then said the same thing when he spoke of Christians having now treasure in heaven. That does not mean that you go to heaven to get that treasure. It does mean that the treasure is waiting to be revealed in the last time when Jesus returns to the earth to establish the kingdom of God on this planet. We can draw a simple parallel between this matter of waiting for the salvation in the kingdom in the future and how we reserve money for ourselves for retirement. We obviously place our retirement money in a bank or at a safe place, but that doesn't mean that we're going to retire in the bank. The money comes out of the bank when we're ready to retire. So in exactly the same way, if we follow the mind of Jesus carefully, the future blessings are now treasured up with God in heaven so that we may obtain them 
when Jesus brings them to the earth at his return in power and glory in the future to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. So it remains true then that Matthew 5.5 5 is one of the clearest possible texts in the Bible concerning the destiny of the Christian people. The Christians are going to inherit the earth and that's exactly what Jesus said clearly, quoting Psalm 37 and verse 11. You see, this is all part of understanding that Jesus was a Jew. His whole frame of reference is based on that 77% of the Bible we call the Old Testament, which we really ought to call the Hebrew Bible. It was on that Bible that Jesus was nourished. It was on that Bible that Paul was trained. And it was on that Bible that Timothy also was nourished and fed by his mother, a Jew. It was those scriptures that Paul exhorted Timothy to study because he said that the Hebrew Bible contained the wisdom that leads to salvation, 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 and 16. One of the most instructive things we can do is to ask ourselves the question, how much of the language I use about my Christian faith really comes out of the Bible, and how much have I simply learned and absorbed unwittingly from tradition and popular religious talk about the faith? We could start by asking the question, why don't we say inherit the kingdom, inherit the earth, rather than go to heaven. You will not find a single text in the Bible in which Jesus offered heaven as a place removed from this earth to his followers. He plainly said that the followers of Jesus, those who are meek, would inherit the earth. And when people spoke to Jesus in the New Testament, they didn't ask him, how can I get to heaven? They said rather, how can I inherit the kingdom of God or enter the kingdom of God? Our time is running out for today. We invite you to check our findings carefully in the Bible. You can call us at the telephone number to be given at the end of this program, or write to us, or email us, and visit our website. Join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.